Welcome to the Rare Earth Podcast, a place where I bring in rare individuals to have rare conversation. My name is Manoj, your host, and now let's get the show started. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome to another episode of the Rare Earth Podcast, where I bring in rare individuals to have the rare conversation. My guest today is Joshua Lysak. He is a professional best-selling ghostwriter and if you are somebody just like me wondering what is a ghostwriter or what does he do this conversation is pretty much diving deep into ghostwriting uh, i i really enjoyed this conversation because i got enlightened about so many topics so many interesting things which i have never heard of before in fact you will have a lot of aha moments and insights when you listen to this one just to give you a little background on joshua joshua is the number one award winning celebrity recommended international bestseller he has written over uh, 54 books Wow. <laughs> That's a ton of books and he's also been on TEDx stage. He's been a featured speaker there. If you've heard of Scott Adams, uh, who is the famous New York Times bestseller author and also famous for creating the Dilbert character, he endorses Joshua's work and he, what he says is Joshua is the expert in ghostwriting and publishing. <laughs> When you get an endorsement from Scott Adams, then there is nothing more uh, that you really need to worry about. So in this conversation, Joshua really enlightens us what is the process behind ghostwriting, how his journey began in this field and how a lot of his clients are really grateful for making them superstars. If you're somebody who's been contemplating on writing a book, I would highly recommend you listen to this episode. So please enjoy my wide-ranging conversation with the one and the only Joshua Lysak. Joshua, welcome to the show. <laughs> It's my pleasure. Glad to be here chatting with you today. Before I, you know, got to speak with you, I was doing a bit of research, and there is so much about you out there that I got really very intimidated to even have this conversation with you. If I were to just go and read about what's written online about you, you are the world's only award-winning, celebrity-recommended, number one international bestseller, certified professional ghostwriter. <laughs> That's a mouthful. That's phenomenal as a title for somebody to hold. So uh, could you just tell me a little about who you are? Do you hold this very title that I just read out or there is more to which it's got added to? Yeah, yeah, that's uh that's a great way to to start it. I'm a award-winning writer myself and also I have ghostwriting clients who have who've won awards for books I've ghostwritten of theirs. I'm a celebrity ghostwriter in that the vast majority of my clients are public figures, well-known United States, a uh, couple public figures in India. I would love to share with everyone who they are. but we have confidentiality agreements because it's an intimate relationship a, con a confidant between author and their ghostwriter so i tend to work with public figures and there's a certain set of i guess you could say tactfulness and privacy that would be required on that front i am a certified professional uh, ghostwriter there is only one university based master's degree level ghostwriting program in the world they've only allowed fewer than 100 students to graduate from that program with the professional certification and i'm one of them which is pretty cool most wow. difficult thing i've ever done in my life because our work as ghostwriters in the program there were not tests oh you passed the test you got a great grade 
We were simply thrown in to work. Hey, here's a manuscript that needs to be edited. Do it. If we like it, you passed. (laughs) (laughs) So it was very much so a demonstration of proficiency. And so it was not, okay, you passed all these tests. It was, you have demonstrated proficiency as a professional ghostwriter worthy of the world's greatest authors. Here's your certification. That was a very rewarding experience. And then the other thing you'd mentioned is that I have quite a few clients who are bestsellers, international bestsellers, both on the Amazon bestseller list and on other bestseller lists. There would be one other thing that I would add, which is that I am currently working on my 55th, 56th, and 57th ghostwritten books. So one of these days I'll be hitting a hundred books I've ghostwritten and I'll write a, a tell all memoir without breaking the confidentiality. (laughs) Wow. That is, that's an incredible lineup of things that you've completed. And there are folks, you know, out there who take a lifetime to really arrive at a, a book to be written and you have written full length 55 plus books and uh, that's insane amount of work so (laughs) huge respect Joshua that's amazing so I want to start a conversation with something very unusual so I want to start with I heard that you watched the movie Toy Story part 2 over 50 times is that true (laughs) yes yes when I was it's hilarious you brought this up this is a synchronicity this morning my I have a, I have my own little boy and he loves his little Woody doll from Toy Story. And there had been some room decals, like stickers you put up on the wall of Toy Story 2 characters. And he wants to put those up in his playroom today. Oh. So I, I literally have Toy Story on my mind going into this call. But yes, that movie is what made me passionate about stories. Funny enough, because it's, it's a Disney Pixar film and those tend to be very well done stories. And so as a youngster, probably closer to a hundred times I watched it, but I, <laughs> I didn't want to, I didn't want to put it out there. Like I still watch kids movies. <laughs> how, how old were you when you were watching that movie? Yeah. So I probably would have been like eight, nine, ten years old, somewhere, somewhere in there. And it was in the, subsequent years as a young person that I decided I wanted to stop, you know, playing with stories, so to speak, and actually been writing them. And that was the kind of the, the moment where my desire to be a professional storyteller took root. Wow. (laughs) So uh, Joshua, a lot of my audience or there are people who have no idea what a ghostwriter is or what is ghostwriting so could you just help us understand who's a ghostwriter and what exactly does he or she does as a ghostwriter yeah yeah 85 percent of all new york times bestsellers and this would be true of other countries bestseller lists as well but 85 percent of the best-selling books we all read were penned by a ghostwriter the ghostwriter is not the author. The writer of the book and the author are often different people. It goes like this. Let's say there is, I'll give you an example. So there is a a consultant in an industry that's worth tens of billions of, of dollars. It's 
extremely busy fellow. He charges anywhere. He usually charges a hundred thousand dollars to get his advice on something. Extremely busy. Works 12 hours a day. Crazy. But he, he gets paid really well. Mm-hmm. What he does not have is time. People for years have been telling you, dude, you have to package your expertise in a book because you would sell hundreds of thousands of copies. He's li- there is literally no one in his industry that people refer business to more. He's the guy, but not everyone can afford $100,000. So he's decided I need to package all my stories, my expertise into a book. I have no idea what should go in that book or where to start or how do I take all these journals I've written over the years and emails back and forth with advice for clients. I don't have the first clue, but I need a book. Hmm. So he reached out to me. And I said to this client, this author, here's what we're going to do. We're going to decide what is the right message to release to the masses right now. Because a book should not be simply written for potential clients of yours. It should be written for everyone. Here in the the States, there's a very popular personal development book that's been around for 40 years called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I like to reference that book because the title was not Seven Habits of Highly Effective Middle Management Executives at Tech Companies Located in California. Right. People. So what we do is we open the idea up to be as broadly applicable as possible. And then we say, what promise are you going to give readers that if they buy this book, what value will they glean that will do something for them? make them feel better in a certain way or make them or save them time or money. And that becomes the framework around which we build the table of contents. All he has to do is show up with me for an hour a week on a zoom call. And through those conversations, those interviews, I pull out of those every single thing I need to ghostwrite the book in his voice with his stories so he honestly feels like he wrote it himself. He just didn't put in the hours upon hours of typing each word out himself. So he still has the pride of authorship. And we ghostwriters do this not only with books, but I've also gotten ghostwritten politicians' speeches, TED and TEDx talks I've ghostwritten. I also ghost blog, meaning there's companies that need to have content regularly put out on the company blog emailed to their customers. I ghostwrite those. Very similar process. It's just 500 words instead of 50,000 word books. Wow. <laughs> That's uh, phenomenal uh, to know that majority of the bestsellers out there has been ghostwritten. That's that's news to me. I didn't know that. We make heroes out of all these uh, people. I, I think, yeah, that's a well-deserved title though. But the writing skills, they have pretty much outsourced to specialists like you. And that's how it gets featured as bestseller. It's amazing. And so much content writing also in this day and age is written by ghostwriters like blogs and speeches. That is also very interesting. I didn't know that at all. Yes, yes. And uh, the way I like to think about why someone would hire a ghostwriter, let's say if they even do have the time, let's say they do have the time. There are some people I work with who they've recently retired from their executive position 
or they built a company. There's one client, he helped build a, a software company, recently sold for $500 million. And so he was able to take home a sizable share of that $500 million, bought himself a plane and a boat and a third house. And now he's sitting there with all of his toys and his kids are in college or graduated. Now what? Yeah. I think I'm going to open a consulting firm. <laughs> what do I need to start a consulting firm so I can do this for fun? Make a little bit of money, pay all my very expensive bills now <laughs> and not necessarily eat into all the money that I just pulled in. I think I'll write a book and I'll mail a copy of my book to select potential clients. Use my book to get me a phone call with the executive or the founder of the company and they can retain me for $10,000 a month and I can have 10 of those clients. Boom, I'm set. A million dollar a year income, just like that, from a book. Now, in his case, he has the time. So why would he hire a ghostwriter? Imagine you're drafting a legal document, a contract. You could Google legal template. Let's say it's for, for a business agreement, a business contract. You could Google, maybe go online and search for a business contract template. And then you could tweak it, open the document, edit it so that it has your business name. It's got the things you want in there. But is it the right language? Is it legally binding? Is there anything that you've put in there that screws you over and you didn't even know it or something that's deeply unfair to the other person and will turn them off to working with you because you put it in the contract and you had no idea? No. If it's important, you hire a lawyer to draft it for you. You tell them everything that you want to say mm. and then they will take care of everything else. That's what it's like to work with the ghostwriter. It's still your contract. It's just the right version of the contract that's going to legally protect you and the other party. In the case of hiring a ghostwriter, it's still your book, but it's the best version of your book, meaning it establishes your authority, builds your credibility, and entertains readers the way a good book should. You are one of the highest earning ghostwriter in the world and a, a lot of entrepreneurs a-listed celebs reach out to you. So you really uh, are in a different league today. But you, when you started off, I heard your TEDx talk and uh, when you started off, uh, your first gig, you made a dollar and 67 cents. Okay, and uh, usually that could be a, a, a space where someone may feel very demotivated with that kind of an income. But your mindset and your story too, your narrative was very different. Could you share that story, please? Yes, yes. That was nine and a half years ago. So I, I'm coming up on my, my first decade in, as a professional writer. I guess I'm averaging about five books a year. It sounds about right. A little over five books a year. In any case, <laughs> at that time, I had never earned income outside of a traditional job. I've had either a part-time or full-time job since I was nine years old when I began a, a, paper, a newspaper delivery and newspaper sales um, account, a little part-time job to earn some pocket money. It was an actual job, but it was employment provided to me by someone else. And it, it, the jobs were no fun. <laughs> but I had professors, I had college professors who told me, Joshua, your work is so good. This essay you wrote on whatever random topic you didn't care about, 
your essay for this class read as if you do care about it. And we know no one in this class does because it's a college class, right? It's an essay. You're here for your degree. And they said, have you thought about doing this professionally for other people? I had three notable professors who told me that. And I thought, okay, what's the fastest way to test this and see if it's actually true? I went and created a freelancer profile on some platform that doesn't exist anymore. Because that was millennia ago in internet history. <laughs> so I put out a project out there and someone reached out to me or a book editing project. Now, I did not edit a book for $1.67. <laughs> but it was, it, was, it was a very small project. But it showed me that somebody was willing to pay me directly for my work. Mm. And, I taught, and I told myself, if I can do this once for $1.67, can I do it for $5? $10.67? maybe $67. So I, I still keep raising my rates and there's still people, you know, one, one of these days it'll, uh, it'll be a million dollars for a book. Now I might be when I'm 60 <laughs> <laughs> and a million dollars when I'm 60 is equivalent of a thousand dollars today. But you see what I'm saying here. It's a value ladder, I guess you could say. And so I just keep climbing it. That's amazing. That's that's a great story, actually. So I, I think a lot of people who would have started the gig or when they uh, went on to become a freelance writer, it, it's not an easy journey. I think I, I remember when you told about the story of you quitting your job and uh, starting uh, your own venture. That's a decision a lot of people really struggle with. And now we are actually heading in a space where it's like a gig economy. Uh, a lot of people are really thinking about starting something on their own because they really know that the the marketplace uh, really is not going to be thriving as before. Uh, a lot has changed in the recent time. So uh, you've been an early endorser of uh, entrepreneur and solopreneur. Actually, your TED Talk was phenomenal. I actually watched it a couple of times. You are very engaging. You, you really drive the message and it, it's like super good. I think people listening must definitely check out Joshua's uh, TED Talk. But I want to speak about the, the, the TED Talk itself. So getting featured in a TED Talk itself is such a, a great honor. And everybody does not get you know, featured in TED Talk or get invited to, on a TED stage. What really uh, got you invited to that stage or how did you apply to that uh, you know, program to be getting featured as a TED speaker? And how did you prepare yourself for the TED Talk? Because it's a huge responsibility because it's going to be uh, watched by the world and the best people who come on a TED stage. So uh, could you tell us how, do, how was your preparation for that talk? Yes, yes. So the way that TED and TEDx talk speaking works is you can, some are by invitation, others will say, hey, we'll take hundreds of, applic of applications, pitches to give a talk, and we'll pick the two to eight that we like, and we'll in invite you. So the one that I applied for, there were hundreds of people who, who applied, and they I think they chose eight or 10, something like that. So it was a very small number that they chose out of hundreds who, who applied. It was my second time applying for one. The first one I got through as to the final, I guess I was one of the finalists, but there was someone else who had a similar topic to mine who had been in business longer. I think he was in his 40s or 50s. And so they went with him because of the uh, experience that he'd had and they wanted to appeal not just to the younger generation, but they wanted to appeal to the older generation as well. And that's like, you know, sure, fine, whatever. But... 
I was really disappointed because I had spent a month and a half preparing for it. And I was devastated that I did not get the, get the yes. I, mean, I got to be one of the finalists. If I were to say what really happened, it was probably something like this. The talk was sponsored by a local university. And in the talk, I do not speak highly of college degrees. <laughs> so I think it was a decision based on, in part, at least on the money, because that's how it is. No one's going to pay for something that makes them look bad if they can help it. So I think that had a lot to do with it. The second time I applied to give a talk, I literally did no preparation whatsoever. I thought yeah, I, could. I put in way too much for that first. I was devastated. I'm just going to wing it. So I saw that there was an application. I glanced at the questions. I basically repurposed the previous pitch that sunk my chances the last time around. I copied it, pasted it into the form. And it said, please send a 60 second preview of your talk. Basically a pitch free talk and why you're the person to give it. So it's three questions. What's your big idea worth sharing? Why are you the person to share it? And why do people need to see it right now? Here's what I did. I thought about it for a couple minutes. Okay, why this? Why me? Why now? All right, I turned my webcam on. Funny enough, I think I was wearing this shirt, this exact shirt <laughs> I'm wearing right now. I was wearing in that pitch. Wow. And I just talked for 60 seconds off the top of my head. Here's what my talk's about. Here's why I'm the one to give it. And here's why it's needed right now. Funny enough, for those of you who want to watch my TEDx talk, almost exactly the first 60 seconds of the talk is my pitch. Wow. So if you want to see the pitch that one, it was the first 60 seconds of the actual talk wow. with a couple of, with a couple of changes. So the fact that worked told me this needs to be the hook of the speech itself because it got me the speech in the first place. Mm -hmm. So that's the mindset I, I had going in and they were blown away, not simply by the relevance of the topic, but the fact that I looked like I had it scripted and memorized and it practiced a hundred times. Wow. <laughs> but but that's an incredible uh, talk, actually. And it really drives the point about not relying on corporate corporations to really, you know, run your life. You can really uh, build your own economy. You can uh, be a solopreneur, an entrepreneur. So I, I think more relevant than any time than before. That message really holds good. So great talk, though. And I believe you were homeschooled, uh, Joshua, right? I sure was. Preschool, kindergarten through high school, which is usually around the age of three or four here in the United States, and then on up through high school and you go off into college. So I, I was at my my final grade, my final year in, in school before college and university when I was 15 years old which is most seniors they're called here in the states that people who graduate and then go to college or trade school or something they're 18 years old so i was a lot younger than a lot of my my peers but when you're homeschooled you create your own education create yeah. your own classes as long as that you're getting the minimum done that the government says that you have to have subjects that have to be covered there you go there you go so I'm curious, what drove your parents to really consider homeschooling? And this was like many years back, right? What was their yes. thinking and how could they be thinking so differently when conventionally everybody was sending their kids to school? 
Mm -hmm. They smelled the dumpster fire of public education. (laughs) And I mean that literally because my mother, she was a, a school teacher at elementary schools at all ages from the youngest of children on up through teenagers and she quit that job and went to homeschool my brother and I simply because she thought there's there's no way any family of mine I will ever allow to be subjected to this (laughs) (laughs) so that's how that, that came about so you and your brother so you have an elder brother yes Okay, so you both were homeschooled similarly, and then they, you guys branched out to your individual uh, you know, occupations. That's right, that's right. He works in the purchasing and supply chain management in Chicago now. Okay, okay. So your dad used to tell you, uh, he used to tell you that, Josh, you can be anything that you want. Okay, I, I heard you quote that. How did that uh, shape your belief system? And, and at what age was he telling this to you? Yeah, my father told me that several times when I was a toddler, so ages two, three, four, and I don't remember the exact time or when, but I heard that from him often in my early childhood. Wow. And then as I got older, I began hearing it from my professors. And then my clients, like, Josh, you can write. First it was, you can be anything you want to be. I heard from my parents. And then from professors and teachers, you can ace any assignment we give you. And then clients, Josh, you can write anything we need you to write. And so that virtuous cycle of continual reinforcement led me to the point where I know I can do anything when it comes to the the written word. And not just that. I now enable other people to do that as well. I have two writing programs I have created. One that's so specific for marketing your business and yourself on social media. And one that is a system for writing your own content. Let's say you want to work with Joshua Lysick, the ghostwriter, but for whatever reason, it's not the right fit right now. I have my complete system for how I write anything from scratch, whether it's a blog post or a full length book. And now people are using my own expertise for a relatively small fee compared to hiring me directly. And the results people are getting are blowing blowing themselves away. They're getting sales for the first time online, marketing themselves. There's one fellow, he wrote a letter to his family doctor following my system to get the family doctor to change his mind about a controversial risky, expensive, life-saving treatment for a close family member. Mm -hmm. And my writing system applied to his letter, got the doctor to change his mind and save the family member's life. So literally a life-saving writing system that's built on everything I've learned over my own life and time as a professional writer. So with, and it's not just about me anymore. It's about following the right system. You can write anything right the first time and the course is called the best way to say it the best way to say it and it's it's available on your website where is this available yeah yeah it's on my website but it's also i've got a few youtube videos that go in depth on it and then i talk about because i'm very active on uh, twitter people can find it on on twitter as well uh, joshua so i want to go back to the 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 formation that your dad used to give you that you can do anything if you make up your mind 
and you heard the same pattern repeated in in multiple forums be it your teachers or be it your clients so what is that about you that people end up saying that is is there a specific reason that they say that yes yes i'll go back to one specific example the first billionaire client i ever had he's located in germany i've ghostwritten a bunch of stuff for him blog posts his linkedin profile white papers from his company that they've released basically anything that he puts out into the world with his name attached to it i wrote for him now our very first engagement we did a test run so they this fellow and his team they had interviewed over 300 ghostwriters they did a search on linkedin and they looked up like t- top ghostwriter best ghostwriters so they found who they considered the 300 best ghostwriters in the world and they interviewed all of us short interviews obviously so not spending hours and hours with each of us they hired me out of all of them and i'm the only one that still works with them to this day the first piece of content and the reason why is he is is they said now this is him and his ceo and his team because they all looked it over together and they said joshua you gave us a wow moment and that began a retainer relationship where i was creating dozens of pieces of content for them over many months and years working working with them so i think it's that wow i could not have written it better myself if i tried yet it said the right way the first time and interestingly enough the name of the course the best way to say it clients have been telling me that for years when i send them the first chapter of ghostwritten for them or the first article or that first piece of content and they're like they're a little worried if it's going to be as good as they're hoping <laughs> and then they say to me joshua that was the best way to say it in those words that's exactly what they say so i thought why not take the phrase the feedback i get from my own clients for my work and turn that into a system that anyone can use mm, wow yeah i think uh, a wow moment uh, there <laughs> the the ability to really write it in the voice of the person itself i think is such a rare skill and if you can actually systemize it and you can really empower people w- with a system in place i think that's a remarkable tool to really take advantage of so that's really great yeah Thank you. Thank you. Yes, most of my 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 clients they look at well look at what I created for them and they say to themselves I can't even tell I work with a ghostwriter because it all sounds like me. <laughs> that, and there's a very specific way to to do that and I as far as I know I'm the only ghostwriter in the world who uses software mm. to study an author's voice. How we all each have relatively unique fingerprints. each of us has their own unique communication style in author voice and so what i do at the beginning of engagement and this is the best practice amongst all ghostwriters but i use software to do it i study the author voice how do they communicate in a way that differentiates their voice from anyone i worked with previously or other people out there and then i i identify those patterns using uh, using specific software solutions i've put together I find it and then I apply that voice print to everything I'm creating for them whether it's articles or chapters or books so it's indistinguishable from anything else they've got because that is a major pitfall with working with a ghostwriter working with a copywriter and in most cases I am not the first ghostwriter that someone has worked with the first copywriter they've worked with but I'm usually the last and the reason <laughs> why I wasn't the other writers they'd hired probably great stuff 
didn't sound at all like them. For example, there was somebody in, in digital marketing who's, who have ghost read her book. She's bombastic, a big personality, high energy, inappropriate jokes in a business, in the business context, just over the top. And the first copywriter that, that she had hired toned it down and said, Oh, you, you shouldn't talk like that. That's not professional. And so wrote the first few chapters of her book and it looked like a shareholder report for a fortune 500 company for, for a major <laughs> company. It was that dry. Right. And so, oh no, this is how you should write it. And so the author was like, they edited out my voice. That's not cool. That's not cool. So then I took over the project throughout the, the previous writers stuff. because It didn't sound like her. And then I wrote her book in her voice the best way she could have said it. I think so. So it's the voice print is almost like the DNA of their personality. And if you really take the DNA away, then, you know, you lose the personality and you really cannot convey the essence of the speaker or the, or the author. Exactly. It's also about their, their energy and, and going deeper. And this is something that a lot of authors benefit from when they hire a ghostwriter is writer's block is a thing of the past. When you work with the ghostwriter, there is no such thing as ghostwriter's block, <laughs> okay? There also isn't that self-doubt, that lack of, no one wants to hear this, that self-editing, that self-censorship that happens. And it, it goes something like this. I'll be interviewing an author about, even if it's a, if it's a CEO or a consultant on a business book, and they'll say, Joshua, I've never told anyone this before, not my spouse, not my religious leaders that I know personally. I've never told anyone this before, but I'm going to tell you this now. This shouldn't go in the book, Joshua, but, and then tell me the story. And I say, yeah, that's going in the book. <laughs> no one wants to hear this. This shouldn't go in the book, but here's the story. Those are the ones that never make it into a book that the author writes themselves. Mm. But it's when the professional, the ghostwriter comes along and says, no, uh-uh, that's the reason people are going to buy the book. It's that, that's, that's what goes in the book. So that's something I've learned that anyone listening, you can use that. If there's a story or an idea that says no one, you know, it, it makes you say, yeah, that should not go in there. That's the first thing that should go in there. <laughs> Make wow. room for it. <laughs> Cut out other stuff if you have to. I think you you pretty much are wearing multiple hats. I think apart from a ghostwriter, I think you you become almost like a psychologist <laughs> to the client. They're just almost opening up everything with you. So it's fascinating. Yes, I've had a couple of people refer to me as their ghost therapist, their ghost writer, their <laughs> ghost publisher, their ghost marketer, their ghost consultant. A, a little bit of a little bit of everything. Joshua, so you did mention that many students are uh, graduating with a piece of paper and really having no skills. And I heard you mention that when you, you came out in the marketplace, felt the reason to upskill yourself. And you really actually had hired a, a sales coach to really improvise your own elevator pitch. So could you tell a little about what that was all about and how did that, that process help you? Yeah, yeah. So this is advice from Scott Adams, the creator of the Dilbert comic strip, multiple New York Times bestselling author. In right. one of his books called 
um, how to fail at everything and still win big, he gives a piece of advice called talent stacking, Hmm. where you take separate but complementary skills and you stack them together. You don't aim to become the best in the world at one thing or even at all of these things. You aim to simply become proficient. Basically, top 20%. Be be better than 80% of other people at Hmm. these multiple things and you become an unstoppable force. So when you introduce me, the world's only this and this, that's the example of a talent stacked uh, pitch for me and my personal brand. Hmm. Now, I identified that I had difficulty effectively communicating the authors the value of a ghostwriter. And I thought, this is several years ago, I think Mm. four or five years ago. And I asked myself, what am I missing here? And I thought, oh, the art of sales is communicating the value of your product or your service so that the prospect is willing to say yes, because it's the right decision for them. Mm. And so I identified I had that gap. So I, as I talk about in my uh, TEDx talk, decided to work with a uh, work with a sales coach to mm. fill that talent gap mm. in my stack. Another one I noticed a few years ago, probably this is the one. This one's three years ago, is project management. Mm. So many authors come to me all at once. So many potential clients. I'm thinking, how can I do all this work? I only have so much time, but they're all willing to pay so well. I need to work with all of them. And that's when I heard about various project management apps and software that allow you to put all your clients' information, including the timeline of working with them, the deliverables you have to produce. It's so it's like having a full-time project manager mm-hmm. in the form of an app or a project database. And so I can at a glance literally at a glance, see everything that has to get done for each person and when it has to get done. So that if I'm doing a task that's similar for multiple clients, I can batch it all and do it all for each of them at the same time to save more time and energy. And it's, I, I, I really feel like if not a general manager, something like a vice president or a CEO, this is coming from a guy who started as a gets paid by the hour solo freelancer at the outset i was telling you how i've got my to-do list right here i write out every week's in pen and ink i write out my week's to-do list i feel like a million bucks i feel like a ceo it's great (laughs) and that's part of that talent stacking advice i would dispense to everyone yeah, so I want to know, know what was the skill sets uh, that the coach helped you work on uh, when you actually hired him? It was asking the right questions mm. to people. Mm. And by the right questions, it allows you to illuminate for both of you what exactly the need is behind your desire to buy something. So most freelance writers, most creative people, when they get on a sales call, what do you want to buy from me? How many hours of my time do you want? Here's my price. No, thanks. Too high. Mm-hmm. Next. And there's not really any, you don't really know why they didn't say yes. You don't know what their criteria for purchasing were. So sales is really the art of cultivating information. Information specifically around why someone thinks they have that need in the first place. What their 
like what looks like the right solution for them? What else have they considered to try to solve that problem or achieve that goal? And by knowing what these questions are and becoming effortless in asking them or even finding a way to get a bunch of them answered with one question allows you to demonstrate that you are the right solution for them mm. simply in conversation. Right. Yeah. And I heard you mention that we should be shamelessly endorsing ourselves. Uh, so uh, a lot of times in our life, we really are uh, selling short and we think really we should be not really endorsing us at, at that level. But you're a strong believer that we should really go out and really put ourselves out there, ask for what we need. Could you tell a little about that? How, how was that transition for you as a very conservative writer? Yeah, yeah. Most writers are very much ultra introverts. They're consulting their muse, so to speak, and putting out into the world whatever's out there. But in promoting my first novel, I in fact have a couple of novels published under my own name going back many years. I realized no one's going to buy this unless I ask them to. <laughs> so I'm in the position that my own authors are. And that's another rarity about me is that most ghostwriters are not themselves published authors. They don't know what it's like. Would you, if, if you're a woman in labor about to give birth, would you rather your midwife be someone who has kids and has been there or someone who hasn't? And here in the States, doulas are popular. So when my wife and I, we had our boy, we, you bet for sure, we knew, we made sure that our midwife and our doula had both had kids. So they knew what that experience was like. And that translates well to the world of writing. And really with anything, if you're promoting a service to do something for someone, you will have the confidence to promote yourself if you've done it yourself. Mm. So let's say you are an artist for hire. I better be able to go find out and see that you have art that has your name on it out there. That's right. pretty good. <laughs> you know, what, whatever it looks like, you know, I'm an audio producer. Okay. Where's your podcast? Where is your, your mixtape? Where is your music on Spotify or SoundCloud or whatever? You don't have any, you're not a producer. Interesting. Yeah. I think you got to have something to back your work and what you what the work speaks for itself then. I think then you get some momentum out of that. But you got to really put your work out there. That's that's the most important part that you're trying to say here, right? Yes, yes. And and you want to put it out in front of the right people. Mm. In front of the right people. So much of marketing doesn't work because you're you're delivering the wrong pitch to the wrong people. Mm. With a, a ghostwriting service, I could go talk all day to literary on literary marketplaces and on writing websites and publishing websites because it seems obvious to go there right to talk about writing and publishing and myself as an expert nope because there are hundreds of other ghostwriters editors publishing professionals who are also writing articles on those websites i don't stand out you know where i do stand out is on business podcasts on productivity blogs on places where my clients, my future clients are business people, business leaders, celebrities, even getting noticed there is a lot easier than getting noticed by them on a literary website, blog, or podcast. So part of promotion is aggressively identifying where you should and should not be. Mm. 
Joshua, it, in, in your uh, past experience, uh, you have created content for blogs and you have written direct sales pitches for uh, a lot of companies. And even though you have created amazing stuff, very promising content, which really drives the message, sometimes because of poor marketing, it really suffers. It really doesn't reach the, the targeted audience or the, 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 the market that it's supposed to really attract. And when you started noticing that there was this gap happening, you really took charge of your your game and you really wanted to understand how marketing can be improved. So you went on to, you know, work with a few mentors. I heard that you went on to work with uh, Chet Holmes and learn some materials from Jay Abrahams, Ramit City. So could you share uh, what, what did you learn and what specifically helped you move from there on? Yeah, yeah. The different people I've learned from I've chosen whom to get advice from based again mm-hmm. on gaps. Uh, Ramit Sethi is quite accomplished at effective online marketing. Like how, how do you systematically build up an audience of people to whom you can promote something? Mm-hmm. So rather than pointing out one tip or strategy he gave, Ramit Sethi, who's well known for his book, I Will Teach You To Be Rich, which is about personal finance. He has some great personal finance tips, but more so the way he thinks about creating information products, selling those information products, building up an audience to whom you can sell them. It's almost like his mindset was a gap I had because I was Mr. Sell My Services for, by the hour, not package them in something and then sell are you crazy you know <laughs> so that was like a, a kind of a mindset upgrade from him hmm. chet holmes is very well known for his he's since passed away yeah. but chet's book the ultimate sales machine is again another excellent way to think about sales hmm. not so many sales but sales strategy but how do you know how many sales you need to make what is your approach going to be to getting yourself in front of multiple prospects? Again, not one piece of advice or even a tip, but a mindset upgrade to think of myself not simply as a ghostwriter, but as a ghostwriting salesman. Hmm. That's what I've begun to think of myself as. And then Jay Abraham is widely considered one of the legendary copywriters of our age. And again, not really another tip or strategy, but more so the mindset to think about writing marketing communications, writing copy for companies, for advertisements, that's going to get people to take action. Again, not one simple tip, but a mindset upgrade. Here's how to think about it. Here's how to decide what the right headline is going to be. Mm-hmm. And those translate really well to writing book titles and chapter titles and writing the opening chapters to books so that people will want to read the rest of it. And that becomes a great value add to my clients because so many ghostwriters don't actually know how to make sure the client or the author's book makes money for them beyond book sales, but promotes their business and helps them grow their business. So that's something I'm uniquely suited to offering clients. I think, yeah, so it's immensely valuable to take advantage of some of these mentors, be it in the book form, be it in the online course, 
or uh, there are so many resources available today so you really can cut short your window of time of your learning curve by just actually you know benefiting from the mindsets as you rightly said it may not be a specific technique but it's just the mindset and the approach to how they look at things exactly and there's a piece of advice that i got from my very first ghostwriting very first ghostwriting client going back nine and a half years not the dollar 67 an hour person that was a, a writing gig this is actually the ghostwriting project he started a four and a half billion dollar industry literally by himself he and his wife 50 years ago literally by literally by themselves with a couple of kids toddlers they've founded a multi-billion dollar industry and so his book was sharing everything he learned building that industry up from scratch now here's the interesting part the advice he gave me for saying enough it didn't fit in the book it didn't make sense to put it there. That's why I'm sharing it with uh, everyone now. He said, the greatest lessons of life are caught, not taught. By observation, we pick up what we need to know. Mm. Not through them telling us what we should know or should do. It's by observing that we pick this up. So by observing the way Chet Holmes thinks about sales, roommate safety thinks about launching an online information product, the way that Jay Abraham thinks about writing marketing copy. I've caught a lot from those three. Mm. And that's why the best way to say it, and then the sequel course, the best way to tweet it, which is about marketing yourself and writing copy on social media to, to make sales, to drive traffic, to get engagement, all that. They're primarily demonstrations in which I record myself working on content, book chapter, sales page, marketing email, blog post, stuff that's rough draft, stuff that's just notes. And I'm reworking it, I'm restructuring it, I'm refining. And I'm telling the viewer, the customer, the student of the program, why I'm doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And everyone consistently tells me that's the one reason they buy the program is to watch the master at work so that they can catch what it is that I'm doing. And then they understand how to think about their own content. And then they adopt the best way to say it as a mindset, not as a set of tips, tricks, tactics, or hacks, but it's a new way to think. It's the right way to think about creating any form of content. Yeah. I think what you mean to say is the student has to have a thirst for that knowledge or, or unless they, they have that curiosity to really learn, uh, even though the information is presented to them, they may pretty much miss it because they're not really looking from that angle at all. So It's not about information. It's about the, the application. And this is why so many books, courses, name your information product, they get people excited to consume, but then people feel as though they didn't really learn anything new, just a bunch of information that gets them excited about knowing it. But knowing to doing is a big gap. So that's why the courses I create, the courses I'm now a, a ghost course creator for clients as well, writing scripts for their online course materials so that they can bridge the gap from information to application because they know how powerful and influential the best way to say it was 
They want that version, but with their expertise. So how do we package their material as a demonstration so that people can catch it and then apply it and then go on to social media and talk you up because you changed their life the way you've taught them this new thing and they now get it. That social proof then allows you to sell even more copies, more copies of, of the program. I want to shift gears a little bit here. And you had recently written a, a tweet which said, I instantly trust people who are willing to risk offending me. I aim to do the same. Okay, and uh, I want to club it with another point that you had mentioned previously uh, in, I think, in some other podcast about debate protocol. Okay, so do these uh, tie together? Because I, I heard you speak about really thinking from the other person's point of view. So could you elaborate on this point? Yes, yes. So the point of the tweet is that uh, I want to be the client or the ghostwriter to tell my author, it's a terrible book idea. It's awful. And I'll obviously give a reason why, and that needs to be grounded in data. Enough, a bunch of replies to that tweet just said hor horrible insults that were actually <laughs> true to make the point. Do you trust me now, Josh? Ha ha. <laughs> and more so risk offending me with what you believe to be the truth. That's what it is. So mm. I will regularly tell aspiring author, they'll book a discovery call with me and we'll chat about their book idea. And I will tell them, I've, I told two authors in the last couple of days since recording this podcast, nobody wants that book. Mm. And here's why. And yeah, it hurts. But only in that pain can we find out, well, what is the better version of this book idea? What is the version of the book that you could write, you would feel passionate about the idea that there's also a market for? So there's a point to the ex to the sharing of the expertise. I could just say, sure, I'll take your money to write your book for you that I privately think is awful. But then I want to be seen as highly valuable because they know I'll tell them the truth from the very beginning of the relationship. Debate protocol, that comes from my, uni my university debate team days when debate protocol goes like this. In a debate, a formal debate, there's an issue that teams take one side of and they have to get up there and they have to argue for their side. Here's the interesting thing at these tournaments, these debate, actual formal debate tournaments. When the teams show up, the opposing teams, they don't know which side they're on. We're actually assigned a side. I'll give you, uh, I'll give you an example. One of the issues we tackled at the debate team, this is going on nine years ago now. The debate issue was something to the effect of river dolphins rights, the, the animal rights of river dolphins in the Amazon should be taken into more consideration than the rights of the indigenous peoples who are hunting them for meat. We didn't know what the topic was or which right. side it was. So that was labeled that the rights to exist of these rare and endangered river dolphins mattered more than the hunting source mm -hmm. of the indigenous population because there's other animals that they could hunt besides this endangered species. And then the <laughs> debate judges announce which side of the issue you're going to be on, <laughs> which side you're going to argue for. And you get five minutes to prepare your first statement. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's the debate protocol, which means you have to know really well how to argue, how to persuade, make the case for both sides of a topic. Yeah. That comes in really handy as a ghostwriter because I can unearth the objections to my author's ideas, the chapters, the stories, mm. the advice that they dispense on the spot to tell them, here's why no one's going to believe that. Mm. And, I, and I'll and I even say it that bluntly, that's a terrible idea. No one wants to read that. <laughs> and I'll also be the one who tells them, the story you just said, you're too ashamed to share publicly. Of everything you've told me, that's the only one that is worthy of concluding in the book so far. <laughs> you know, And be that level of advice. But I will always dispense the, the absolute truth as I see it, tactfully, with a basis for it. So it's not simply opinion. It's let's go look at the numbers. Books on that topic with that approach sell terribly. Do you want a book that sells terribly? Cause I'll write it for you if you pay me to, but that would not be the ideal for both of us. And so I want that to be part of the relationship and debate protocol, being able to see both sides equally and make a case for one is uniquely helpful as a ghostwriter. When you're uh, dealing with a client and these are really A-listers, people are, who are the top entrepreneurs, they really come from a place, uh, I, I, I may be wrong, assuming that, but I think they may be having very high egos. Uh, so uh, how do you really take a completely opposite point of view when you're actually presenting it? Because you know that this is not going to really add up to a really good opening chapter or this doesn't really fit in. So how do you really handle a difference of opinion with your client when you're actually putting that across? Yeah, yeah. Over the years, I found ways to vet out arrogant people from my process. I never even have to talk to them or I never end up working with them nowadays because I just don't want them and their money. Mm. Here's the difference I've noticed amongst the A-listers you pointed out, which is yeah. true. Ego thinks it's important. Ego thinks it's important. Authority knows it's important. Mm. And therein is humility. For example, the author I told you, the, the top consultant of his multi-billion dollar industry charges hundreds of thousands for each engagement. These are publicly traded corporations who are his clients and he knows that's what they're willing to pay. And he just keeps charging more and they just keep saying yes. Over the years, he has dispensed advice to interns mentored many hundreds of people, given them advice for free. But he also realizes that people take seriously advice which they pay for. Mm. And he's recognized it doesn't make sense to just have a $100,000 consulting package you can purchase from me. I need to have a $9 ebook, the $19 audio book, for example, that most people can access at that price point and they'll say that the value of it is worth it. Now, the purpose of the book will be to get more of the higher end engagements by marketing the book. He'll probably, you know, he will make a lot of money selling the book, but not anything compared to what the impact is that he will have on the lives of people. Interestingly enough, the wealthiest people I know who've earned their wealth are the humblest people mm. that I know. 
the most arrogant people I know are ones who are wealthy, but did not earn it. They built nothing themselves. They inherited it or they won it, or frankly, they just got lucky. There are some stories out there of dumb luck being in the right place at the right time. They're rare, but their egos are noticeable. <laughs> <laughs> so that's interesting to note that you really filter out the clients that you do not want. And that's... That's amazing. You may have a very highly credible person out there in the world who's successful according to the definition of the world. And, uh, you know, but if his energy and your energy doesn't gel, you pretty much very carefully, very tactfully reject it. So that's interesting to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a, some clients I've known that it's not worth it. It's not worth it. But no amount of money is is worth losing my peace over just because they're not a good person. Right. And there are a lot of people. There's an expression, internet speak called the red pill. You, you, you take the red pill. Its effect on you is that you see reality and all its uncomfortable truth. But the opposing pill comes from the movie, The Matrix. Matrix the yeah. blue pill is... Uh, a comfortable truth that leaves me in a state of blissful ignorance. Being a ghostwriter for the world's rich and famous is the biggest red pill I could possibly imagine. Because you see who's legit and who is a grifter is expression used to refer to someone who's putting on an act just so that they can get credit or make money or look virtuous or something like that. And I, I tend to try to, to weed out the grifters because they don't live with integrity. Mm. They don't treat me with integrity. I've had many of these people over the years who are like, oh, I could just not pay my ghostwriter and I could publish the book and they can't stop me. <laughs> yes, I've had a couple of those clients before. And I knew from the get-go that this, this person's ego was wanting to write the book. Even to the point of, I know that it would make, make me more meaningful to readers if I wrote it that way, Joshua, but I want to put it this way, like a toddler. I want it this way. I want it now. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Almost a whining, but that's, that's just the way it is. And so I've tried, as I've said, to, to not work with those, those sorts of people because they're just not pleasant. And it turns out that they stiff me on, uh, stiff me on payment. But these are people who are otherwise absolute beacons of virtue mm. that's their personal brand mm. at least but then you realize that most people are not especially public figures there's their personal brand and then there's who they really are interesting i think that example of red pill and blue pill was good i think in the in the, in the context of this so yeah, I think it's important. Yeah, to, uh, yeah, you call me the red-pilled ghostwriter. <laughs> um, so according to you, who do you think should write a book? Uh, can anybody write a book? Or uh, who should really go out there and write a book? And who should really consult a ghostwriter? I think the people who should write books are ones who've been giving their advice away for free. Mm. They really, really, I do. Uh, and that's on just about any topic. Tomato gardening. You've taken friends and family members and you showed them how to, the best way to garden tomatoes. Build your plots in the backyard, test the soil, make sure the, the nutrients of the soil. That's a book right there. The key is that you something or you can do something that other people also want to know and do so much 
that they would pay $20 and invest eight hours of their time into it. Eight hours is about the average it takes to consume a nonfiction book. So if what you know and can do, if you're able to teach that to other people and it's valuable enough that they'll spend time and money on it, you should write a book. A lot of us have this idea that you got to be really an expert in a field or you got to be something phenomenally good to be an authority to even to qualify to write a book. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. The way that I think about that is something like this. You, as an author, have an innovation. That's your idea. Is your innovation, your book idea, is it something people haven't seen before? That's the key. Hmm. You do not want to write a book that's already been written. I get so many people who are Tony Robbins wannabes or a Deepak Chopra wannabe. And so they just write their version of their book and it's just awful. It's not something new. If you have something new, something different, a fresh take, actually fresh take, not using the excuse, there's nothing new under the sun, Joshua. I can say whatever I want. <laughs> I get that a lot. It actually has to be unique. It actually has to be fresh. I need to look at your title and subtitle and say to myself, oh yeah, I would totally pay $20 for that. Mm -hmm. And the key is to focus on the results. What is the result you can promise? I'll give you a great example. One of my few clients who does not have a non-disclosure with me because he opted out of it and told the world I was his ghostwriter. Cool story. So the author's name, he's from India. His name is Ramesh Danta. He's a management consultant in the tech industry in San Francisco, Silicon Valley area, does a lot of work with companies out there. He wanted to package his advice on entrepreneurship because he's helped so many companies start from scratch. But he wanted to make the advice he knows accessible to the most number of people, the highest number of people who are very busy and don't have 20 hours a day <laughs> to, to build their own startup. And so he's like, Joshua, I want to package all my expertise in a consumable way that people haven't seen before. I don't want to write entrepreneurship 101. I don't even want to write entrepreneurship for busy people. Those two books pretty much by those titles have already been written before. And I said, what's the unique, what's the innovation Ramesh that you can offer the unique approach to building a business that your readers have never seen before. And he said, Joshua, my approach is focus only on those things that you get you paying customers. Okay. Get your first paying customers. That's not strong enough. Get your first paying customers fast. Everyone says that you can Google that. And so I asked Ramesh about how long, per day on average, should people work on these activities that can get them customers? I said, oh, about an hour. Oh, about an hour a day. So about 30 hours to invest to get your first customers, specifically timing the activities you need to build a business. The title of Ramesh's book is The 60 Minute Startup. Ah. How to get your first paying customers in one hour a day in 30 days or less has sold thousands of copies. Not only that, but the 60 minute startup 
was entered into the Reader's Favorite Book Awards, considered the preeminent awards ceremony for books across all genres. He entered it into the marketing category because it's primarily about marketing your business idea to get customers, not wasting time on business plans and all that crap. Out of tens of thousands of books, the 60-minute startup won the gold medal, the number one best marketing book in the galaxy. Wow. And uh, of course, Ramesh said, would not have been possible without Josh. You get the credit for this. So I feel really good about that. Is think about what you can sell that has never been sold before. Is he the first person who's come up with a fast way to start a business and get customers? No, but he's the first to distill it down to one hour of stuff to do every single day. That's an innovation and people are willing to pay for it. Joshua, I, I know we can really go on and on. I think we will need a part two to really continue and dive in deeper. But I, I know your time is really, you're quite a busy guy, so I don't want to hold you back. Where can people find more about you and how can they follow and they really want to check out your work? Yeah, yeah. My ghostwriting website is entrepreneurswordsmith.com. Entrepreneurs is singular or plural rather, and Word and Smith are very simply Word and Smith, entrepreneurswordsmith.com. I have over 160 book writing, book marketing, and book training videos on my YouTube channel. So if you look that up, at just go to YouTube and search for Joshua uh, Lysak. You'll find me there. I'm on Twitter, at Joshua Lysak. Go there to learn about the best way to say it and the best way to tweet it. And I'm sure that the, those uh, I'll be in the notes for the show as well. Thank you, Joshua. Uh, it's been a total delight to have you uh, on the show and I really look forward to connecting with you again. It's been my pleasure today. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed the show. All the key points discussed will be available in the show notes section at www.rareearth.com. That is R-A-R-E-E-R-T-H.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you really enjoyed Please do give me your feedback, review and rate on iTunes or any listening app of your choice. Do subscribe and share. Thank you.